Yeah, so I'm Kobe Gittery. I am uh, pretty, I have a, a, a decent sized account on, on Twitter, but uh, my main political activity is um, as a member of Freedom Road Socialist Organization and uh, the Chicago Alliance Against Racist and Political Oppression. Um, I'm also, I'm not a, a full teacher yet. Uh, I'm right now I'm in a residency program um, trying to become like a, a full salary teacher. Um, so there's certain things that I can't really uh, get into, you know, cause I'm kind of on probation. Um, but just about uh, Steve Biko, uh, I grew up in South Africa, right now I'm living in Chicago. Um, both my parents are African-American, but just growing up in South Africa, you learn a lot about um, the anti-apartheid struggle. Um, and Steve Biko in particular, you know, is uh, one of the martyrs who was killed in the 70s. And um, one of his books, I actually have it right next to me. Uh, one of his books, uh, I Write What I Like, which is um, a collection of, of essays, which as you can see, it's kind of, it's it's been... Uh, very well used, um, you know, that uh, kind of goes into his uh, theories of, of black consciousness um, because what he was talking about up until, was up until that point, um, the ways of struggling or there, there was kind of a, a vacuum created um, when the ANC was banned, um, when a lot of um, not just the ANC, but you know the, the South African Communist Party was banned, of course, um, and a lot of the leaders of the of the anti-apartheid struggle, the black leaders of the anti-apartheid struggle, were uh, you know put in in prison or executed, um, or had to go into exile in uh, different places in in Africa, and uh, some of them went to Europe, um, and the situation in the in the late '60s and, and early '70s was such that um, the only people left were people who were kind of compatible with uh, the white power structures. Um, and there's just so many amazing quotes from that book, so much like, you know, amazing knowledge that, you know, really um, highlights some things that we're still dealing with today. Um, one of them in particular is, um, where just to paraphrase, he says that um, white society will kick you uh, one one leg of white society will kick you, and then the other wing will tell you how to respond to being kicked. Um, so, you know what this this uh, like bourgeois democracy that we've got right now um, in in the U.S. Um, it it's you know it's 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 exactly that setup where the Republicans will kick black people and the Democrats who are also kicking black people. You know, I, I don't want to absolve them of any of any violence. Um, they, you know, kind of, they're, they're the good cop in, in this like sort of good cop, bad cop situation. And the solution, according to Steve Bugo, is to is for Black people to uh, be conscious of themselves and to be empowered um, for themselves. And, you know, not to be an auxiliary of uh, any sort of uh, white project, whether, um, whether it's socialism that's led by white people or any kind of liberalism that's led by white people. Um, so, you know, of course, uh, like there are some, uh, you know, I'm not, a, I'm not 100% in agreement with Steve Biko on every single political, uh, on every single political idea of his, um, but 
you know, the, the core of it, I think, is the most important thing and something that, uh, that Black people everywhere, whether it's uh, in Africa, in the Caribbean, in South America, or uh, here in the U.S., you know, have to, uh, have to really study and really um, internalize, you know, is this idea of Black consciousness and this idea of um, not just this idea, but the practice, you know, of Black self-empowerment. Yeah, and, and just with Steve Biko, you know, one of his main critiques throughout I Write What I Like also is about like white liberals kind of, as you're mentioning, like he heavily criticizes the white liberal initiative and the anti-apartheid movement. I wonder how you kind of make this connection to the different types of like organization politically in the, in the United States and the U.S. similar to South Africa as a settler colonial society as well um, in, in political organizing. And also his critique, as you were mentioning about, you know, not pursuing socialism that, that ends up just being for white South Africans or just for white Americans, for example. So yeah, I, I kind of wonder in the political theory of Steve Biko as well, what we can take in lessons for today. And there's a lot that, that still is very, uh, you know, powerful and resonates with like political organizing, particularly on the left um, and, and advocating for socialism about the kind of like settler socialism mentality that some white liberals in, in South Africa had or, or, you know, some white socialists in the United States have as well. Yeah. Um, so there's a few things. One, I think, is um, like ideologically, um, it has to be understood that, you know, the struggle for socialism and the struggle for uh, liberation of oppressed people is, is linked, right? So um, no, no struggle for socialism, no fight for socialism is going to get off the ground if oppressed people don't, if oppressed people aren't uh, an integral part of that fight, you know, and aren't in leadership of that fight. Um, and, you know, there's uh, a lot of, um, a lot of white socialists don't understand this. Um, most white liberals don't understand this. Um, and, you know, as a result, they, they're not really, they can't really take leadership from black people. Um, you know, my organizations, there are white people in those organizations, but the leadership is mostly black. Um, and the, um, specifically the Chicago Alliance and the National Alliance Against Racism and Political Repression, um, these are black led organizations um, and uh, everybody in those organizations doesn't necessarily need to be a socialist. That's that's something that also trips uh, trips up a lot of white socialists. Is you know this kind of like purity. Um, you know, well, Malcolm X wasn't a socialist, so like we don't need, really need to listen to him. You know, um, but then they wonder why they don't have any black members in their organizations. You know because that that struggle is a revolutionary struggle in and of itself. So black nationalists, people like Steve Biko, even though he wasn't a socialist per se, he was a revolutionary. Um, and you know the the only way to build socialism um, among oppressed people, uh, and not even just among oppressed people, but you know within oppressor nations as well, um, is for national is for national liberation to happen. Um, there's a, a Karl Marx quote uh, that one of one of my mentors, Frank Chapman. Um, I actually have a, a book of his as well, 
which is uh, Marxist-Leninist perspectives on black liberation. Uh, he, he often quotes Marx in saying that as long as labor is uh, branded and sold in the black skin, it cannot be free in the white skin. Um, and that, you know, it gets at this point that has been a stumbling block over and over again, uh, historically, where even, even during the days of, of chattel slavery in the US, um, there's this idea that, you know, well, uh, we, can, we can worry about that later. You know, we can worry about the liberation of black people later. Right now, all we have to do is um, achieve socialism and then everything else is gonna fall into place. But they don't really understand why that oppression exists in the first place, right? Like the economic basis um, for all that theft of land and for the uh, exploitation of people and for the mobilization of, um, of petty bourgeois and some working class white people against, uh, against oppressed people. Um, like all of all of these are things that the system relies on that you know the capitalism um, uses to maintain itself. Um, so you know ideologically it has to be understood that that there exists uh, a revolutionary struggle that is not necessarily socialist, but that socialism can't uh, succeed without that revolutionary struggle succeeding at the same time and without um joining together with that with that struggle so um one of uh you know throughout um throughout history uh the the way that oppressed people have have fought against uh against imperialism you know you see this in in south africa with um the anc which was the anc was had a lot of communists in it but it wasn't necessarily a, it wasn't a communist organization it definitely isn't today. Um, you know, the ANC, the South African Communist Party, and the uh, coalition of, of, uh, of South African trade unions, um, together with a, a bunch of other different organizations, um, you know, they joined together, not, not necessarily because they were, because everybody in there was socialist, you know, there were even liberals um, fighting against apartheid, but they had a common goal, so they fought together. You know, and the, it's this uh, this strategy of of a united front against against capitalism that um, that is crucial. You know, to um, to any kind of socialist struggle, to any kind of national liberation struggle. Uh, you see the same thing. Um, the the anti-imperialist struggle in China. You know, um, it's the same. It's the same situation where uh, the communists had to unite with. Uh, with the Kuomintang to fight against the Japanese. Um, the same thing in, in Russia where the, um, the, a, lot of, a lot of communists had, uh, had doubts about uniting with peasants to fight against the, um, to fight against the Tsar's regime. Um, but you know, that was the only way that it was gonna win. You know, fight is, was to join with people who also need to be liberated, but who might not necessarily be socialists. Yeah, and I wonder how Biko's role in this, in you know, on the anti-apartheid uh, front in South Africa, also kind of, we can draw lessons from this as well, right? Like, you have people like Nelson Mandela who were very critical of Steve Biko and said, you know, he's part of the more radical kind of new anti-apartheid movement, and Mandela was very critical of black consciousness uh, as as an ideology, but I think. There's something about Steve Biko that was 
far more appealing to people by the time that you know Mandela had been locked up for such a long time on Robben Island. So you know there there are a lot of contradictions within within any kind of uh, liberation movement, um, and one of those contradictions is you know the 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 young versus the old, you know where the the um where the the kind of old guard kind of because they've they've felt the repression you know they've they've seen um they've you know they've they've seen what happens like uh to what like what eventually happens to Steve people um and you know they they kind of take a more cautious approach um just as a as a general rule um part of that is part of it is also uh liberal ideology um you know that's more about uh the the goal is to unite you know the goal is to uh um or and not necessarily unity in the in the sense of um uniting against uh against a common enemy but uniting uh society in this like sort of vague um abstract way um and turning it into like this like rainbow nation type idea um but um, you know the, the the younger generation tends to be more uh, more like ha to have some like the sense of revolutionary impatience uh, where it's like you know fuck that I just want to burn it down you know I'm not trying to hear anything about um, you know uh, like having some kind of peace and love with the with the oppressor you know um, and you know both both of those. Uh, like any kind of any kind of mass movement with millions of people at a part of it, you know, with which is a multi generational movement, you know, is going to have those uh, those different trends within it. Um, so you're going to have your your Nelson Mandela's, you're going to have your, your Desmond Tutus, and you're going to have your uh, your Steve Biko's. Um, one thing, I think the general trend uh, is toward revolution. Um, even, even though you know we're, uh, you know, many many decades uh, removed from uh, from Steve Biko's murder, um, you know, South Africa still South Africa is capitalist. Uh, the white minority still owns most of the land and most of the wealth, um, but there's also this uh, this movement against that. You know, there's also um, there's a revolutionary movement rising up again right now. Um, and you know that's just the that's just the nature of um, of human beings, right? Like when you oppress a group of when you oppress a group of people, they're going to try to uh, shake off that oppression however they can. Um, so you know, I think it's it's mostly um, it's mostly on or just just something that I've. Uh, that I was thinking about earlier um, when you mentioned uh, the kind of settler socialist ideas, um, there was this uh, in, in Black Bolshevik by Harry Haywood, uh, there's a, a part where he's talking about how in the 1920s, uh, this South African, the a delegation of the South African Communist Party, which at that point was pretty much all white, uh, went to the Soviet Union and they were like, well, why, why are there no black people in this, uh, 
in this group, like I thought y'all were communists. Like I thought I thought you were. I thought this was a majority black country. Um, so what's what's going on? Um, and they said, you know, if uh, if we introduce this these revolutionary ideas to the black population, they might throw us out. You know, they might throw us into the sea. Um, and Stalin's response was that, you know, if if you don't unite with them, if you don't uh, take leadership from them, then you'll probably deserve it, if and when they do that, you know. So, um, as far as like the um, within within those contradictions between like um, who wants to to unite and who wants to burn everything down, there's kind of a a trend towards revolution over time. Um, you know what's what happens is the masses move to liberate themselves by any means necessary. So I think it's mostly on the, um, and you know I, I I'm saying this like living in the U.S. You know it's mostly on the people who are on the uh, the the working class, the, the the white workers. You know it's on them to uh, you know they they. Um, they have to learn how to take leadership from black people. You know, like they have to, um, if, if they want, uh, they, like they don't get to tell us, you know, to be more like Nelson Mandela and less like Steve Biko or more like Martin Luther King and less like Malcolm X. Um, because if they, if they try to play that game, then, you know, the Malcolm X's are gonna get them out of there eventually. Um, so, you know, it's it's there. It's it's on them to take leadership from both the Malcolm X's and the um, and the MLKs. Um, I don't know if any of that makes sense. I'm kind of going on this like circuitous uh, route, but essentially what I'm saying is um, those contradictions. Like that's that's just like a, a natural part of the movement, and they get resolved as time goes on. Um, but the general trend is is towards like more and more revolutionary activity. No, that, that made perfect sense. And that kind of leads into what I think is a very interesting aspect, which is Steve Pico's kind of like reemergence as a very important, I mean, he never went away, but it's to say like, as you were mentioning in post, post-apartheid South Africa with, uh, you know, the continuation of, of capitalism, neoliberalism and still settler colonialism, Steve Pico became very popular with like the Fees Must Fall movement and I, I kind of wonder your perspective on that, which is like how, in addition to like black consciousness as a political movement has kind of reemerged um, in the wake of a lot of the failures of the, the anti-apartheid movement and the end, the end quote unquote of apartheid. And still today with the ANC, as you said, becoming a neoliberal party, how South Africans today are reinterpreting Steve Biko to fit their modern conditions. Yeah. Honestly, I don't think it need. I don't think he needs much reinterpretation. Um, the only, you know, the only difference is that, um, you know, the apartheid government is out of power. Um, but, you know, when you look at the kind of shit that the police do, you know, you look at the Marikana massacre, um, which happened not too long ago. Um, you know, the repression is still there. You know, and the like I said, the economic situation is pretty much the same. Um, the political situation is is different, but um, you know there is still that like neo-colonial uh, political control over South Africa that um, you know that uh, that has been maintained. You know 
where they don't really they don't necessarily need uh, they don't necessarily need to have white people in office when they can have black people who um, some of them are some of them were even a part of the anti-apartheid struggle, um, but you know now they take their orders from the uh, from um, you know from capital from white capital um, because that's who you know that's who they get their money from. Um, and yeah, so you know, it, when you when you read what Steve Biko was saying about um, the the repression, about the um, attempts by by white people to um, to uh, basically like co-opt the struggle, um, and also about the um, the kind of uh, compatible uh, tribal leadership um, that he talks about a lot about you know the the the, the chiefs of, of these Bantustans that were set up by uh, by the apartheid government um, you know you see uh, a lot of very very close parallels to what's uh, happening in South Africa right now and not just in South Africa but also you know everywhere where um, you know everywhere that there are black people you know everywhere that black people are living under under capitalism um, and under imperialism, um, you know, you feel that, right? So reading Steve Biko, it's like, it puts uh, words to, to, to the feelings that a lot of people have been having, you know, of, well, shit, if this is a rainbow nation, you know, like why are, um, why is the wealth still all the way over there and the poverty still over here? Um, so, you know, that's why, that's why Steve Biko still resonates with a lot of, uh, a lot of black people, um, a lot of black people today. Yeah, I think that's that's absolutely correct. And and then just I guess taking it to the United States as well, like I think Steve Biko and his ideas, and in, in the same way that it, it's pretty clear that to guess I guess like you you made the parallel too between his thought and Malcolm X and other um, Black Power activists like like Kwame Torre as well, kind of how their perception of things has has ultimately won out in a lot of ways. I wonder also in applying this criticism to, we talked a little bit earlier about working within, you know, socialist or left organizations that are still overwhelmingly white and their inability to handle the criticism of the charge of racism um, and how his kind of very incisive understanding of how these organizations, this mentality, the uh, paternalism that they kind of operate on is still very true and, and can lead ultimately to very poor, you know, socialist activism in the United States. And on the other hand, if we follow his critique um, and we can create potentially something, some alternative kind of structure that is not so uh, dependent on, on ignoring and putting on the back burner the problem of racism. Yeah, I think, um... Something that you you know there's like two two trends like two broad trends in, in socialism, um, where one is is more Western more uh, more like bourgeoisified I guess I don't I don't know if that's a word but um, you know that it's it's kind of like the 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 Noam Chomsky type uh, you know of, of saying well you know the the Soviets were bad the the mouth the um, 
the Chinese communists are bad. Um, every everybody's bad except uh, you know me and my like seven uh, uh, contemporaries. You know who, who keep like uh, further and further mystifying socialism. Um, and on the other side of that, uh, there is a movement where uh, a, a trend where it's not always perfect, of course, but um, the main thing that I think distinguishes the two trends from each other is that one trusts the masses and gets its 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 marching orders from the masses, and one doesn't. Um, you know, I think uh, that's like the main thing. You know, when you see uh, a group of white socialists come into a black community, um, which you know, it, it is possible, like uh, sharecroppers, um, the, the, the sharecroppers um, movements in the 1920s, the, the, the um, Communist Party of the USA proved that it is possible for white people, for white communists to organize in the Black liberation movement um, and to, you know, organize other Black people and, you know, uh, bring revolutionary ideology into Black communities that didn't necessarily have, um, have it written down on paper before, um, where you know that ideology might have been in um, kind of like uh, like dispersed uh, traditions, but it wasn't like written down on paper. Um, it is possible for white people to uh, to play that that kind of role, um, but the main thing is that they have to trust that black people can do that shit themselves as well. You know, it's it's not. Like it's not, um, they have to be able to take leadership from black people. They have to be able to understand that black people uh, can govern themselves, um, that black people can lead themselves. Um, and, you know, that's something that's been missing from, uh, from the socialist movement for a while. Um, and it's not just because, you know, it's not just an ideological misstep, you know, there's, I think, um, you know, we have to take into account how much repression there has been, um, you know, starting, I mean, shit, there's never not been repression. Uh, there's never not been political repression in this country. Um, you know, from back in like the 1800s when they used to lynch people for, uh, for organizing unions, you know, they used to lynch people for, um, you know, demanding any kind of rights for black people, um, you know, through to like the Palmer raids in the 19, in the 19, in 1919, um, you know, we've had such a, a, a an intense um, just wave after wave after wave of assassinations and um, false and imprisonments and, um, you know, all this slander and this, this propaganda and this indoctrination um, that has kind of, um, in the same way that the the banning of the ANC and the, the banning of the South African Communist Party created that vacuum in uh, in the Black liberation struggle and the anti-apartheid struggle in South Africa in the 1960s and 70s, um, there was also you know COINTELPRO here, which created you know by killing Fred Hampton, by um, uh, imprisoning uh, people like Mumia Abu Jamal, um, imprisoning people like Sandiata, um, and you know trying to imprison and trying to kill uh, people like Asada Shakur. Um, they've made it so that, you know, the only people left are the Noam Chomsky's, you know, 
so that's that's who people hear from the most. Um, and you know that's that's kind of the space that we're dealing with. But at the same time, you know, if something is true, it's true. You know, if something is if something works, um, if something is uh, a a good strategy for liberation, then you know people are going to do that. Um, because again, like the masses are smart. You know, the masses understand things um, and are capable of. Um, you know, when when we're organized, we're capable of some amazing shit. Um, and you know that's that's what our enemy understands when they do all that all that uh, repression and all that indoctrination. Um, so yeah, it's you know it, it at some points it kind of looks like um, something that you hear a lot from uh, from the you know the the Western socialists is that you know Marxist Leninists like are they're, they're irrelevant you know and they're saying that. Um, because they look around and all the Marxist Leninists have been killed or imprisoned or, you know, had to go underground um, and all they see is, you know, uh, socialists who are like them, right? But, you know, it's not just about how many, how many of us there are numerically, right? It's about uh, where, where the movement is going. Um, and, you know, the, the understanding of the national question, the understanding that, um, that the liberation of oppressed people from imperialism, not just uh, not just in one country, not just in South Africa or the U.S., but you know everywhere, you know in Palestine, um, in South America, the Caribbean, everywhere, uh, that is a, a prerequisite for building any kind of socialism. Yeah, and I, I completely agree with what you said too about you know also using this example of Noam Chomsky too as kind of like socialist intellectual or I guess you know anarchist and, and whatever but as an intellectual like his belief on revolution from above and everything like this very kind of like condescending view of of revolution and it leads to this being very uh, particularistic and kind of like picky about what to support and then I think for example with Steve Biko like his part of his whole criticism of pedagogical style of professors and this kind of like ivory tower mentality and this approach to socialism always fails and to think exactly like you said you know Steve Biko was a martyr was assassinated by the police whereas someone like Noam Chomsky and other intellectuals generally in, in a lot of cases intellectuals funded by the CIA so they are you know on that side um, and they they definitely don't pose enough of a threat to the system to merit the heavy reaction that the apartheid state placed against Steve Biko. And I wonder, so I guess how this relates to the pedagogical style of Steve Biko and his approach to teaching um, in this very kind of non-hierarchical approach to teaching uh, that made topics very relatable within the South African Students Organization. And I, I guess, how do you kind of use and, and kind of um, take inspiration from this pedagogical style rather than this haughty intellectualism of, of many people on the American left. Yeah, I think um, something that, um, like when you work, like it, it has to be connected to, you know, communities, right? Like it has to be connected to the people or to the masses. Um, in order to to do anything or to be worth anything, um, so 
as far as like pedagogical uh, styles, you know, if you if you approach people with this like, uh, you know, uh, holier than thou or, or you know Marxist or than thou or you know whatever uh, whatever kind of way you approach people, um, you know, people are not people don't go for that. You know, they they don't people can tell when they're being condescended to. Um, but what Steve Biko did, I think, just was very very sharply um, pointing out where the where problems come from you know like what what exactly um where exactly are the lines of uh of demarcation you know like who is who is on our side and who is not um and again like that puts words to feelings that people already have um where you know they they understand that uh these white liberals are not acting in their best interests you know but maybe they're like well shit that's you know that's the only person who um was there you know that's like that, that's all i see after you know nelson mandela got put in prison and um you know all the there's been all these assassinations and all these massacres um but uh, what um what steve Biko did and i think what uh the black panther party was was also doing um around the same time or a little bit earlier um was you know, just approaching people on on a, a very straightforward level, where it doesn't, there's no barriers to entry to understanding that, um, you know, this is this is the oppressed, this is the oppressor, this is how the system works, um, and that, you know, that academic, that academic stuff is like, just, um, you know, sometimes just reading it, it's like, it 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 requires. You know, like an introductory course. You know, and um, a lot of the words don't even actually mean anything because what they're trying to do is just uh, complicate further and further and further and further, so that they can feel like the most sophisticated, uh, the most sophisticated people in the room. Um, when in reality, what they need to be doing is making things more simple. You know, making things more clear. And um, you know, and when I say simple, I don't mean like dumbed down. I mean like simple, you know, like straightforward, um, where you're just saying like, these are the classes in society, these are the, uh, this is the situation um, that's happening right now. Uh, and, you know, that's that's the same method that's been used successfully by, uh, by socialists and um, by people fighting for national liberation pretty much everywhere, um, where, you know, an example that comes up a lot, because there's, there's always discourse on, uh, I've never really seen it outside of social media. Um, there's this discourse about, uh, you know, is is theory like, like are working class people able to uh, understand theory? Um, and you know, of course, like the, the answer is of course, like it's about them, right? It's for them, you know. Um, and uh, you know, for hundreds of years, like people uh, have been able to, um, you know, like people who were illiterate, you know, have been able to like learn how to read and, um, you know, understand this theory and then immediately use that theory in a more effective way than you'll ever see, um, you know, those ivory tower uh, socialists using that theory. Um, so yeah, it's mainly just about uh, being shoulder to shoulder with people and, you know, working, uh, you know, not, ju not just approaching people with theory, but also approaching people with 
uh, with practice, you know, um, like something uh, here in uh, in the U.S., you know, that we're fighting for is, is community control of the police um, as as a um, as kind of a stepping stone to greater to more empowerment of of black people um, and of oppressed people in general. Um, and you know, we don't just tell we don't just talk about that in, in the abstract, right? We're actually building that. We're actually going to um, the families of people who've been uh, who've been tortured by police or people who've been killed by the police, um, and saying like, this is what we need to do. Like this is uh, practically, you know, it's not just about um, saying like, damn, wouldn't wouldn't that be, wouldn't the world uh, that was different from this be so much better? You know, it's about showing people that you know you have the power to build a better world than this. Um, and I think, you know, that's something that that uh, the Black Consciousness Movement uh, was was really uh, getting at was that, you know, it's not just uh, abstractly apartheid should be over. You know, it's it's about black people have the power to end apartheid and like black people are going to end apartheid. And, you know, that is what happened. Um, and, you know, looking towards the future from, from where we're at right now, um, black people are, are going to uh, end the, um, the continued like neo-colonial exploitation um, and you know build this new uh, socialist system right not just like uh, by imagining it in in a uh, in a closed off room but like by working among the people and um, you know fighting against the the enemies of the people yeah and, and kind of to build on that too something I'm I'm personally kind of interested in with with Steve Biko is his writings on the third world and on he doesn't use the term global south, but he uses the term third world quite extensively. And he kind of is bringing in a dimension of the three worlds theory or world systems theory into his analysis and expanding uh, kind of the concepts that, he, that he's writing about, about consciousness and, and like positing a place for the third world within the, the Cold War and within the rivalry between communism and capitalism. And so I'm curious too with like, with his theorizing, you know, how he emerges as, from all of this as kind of a third world theorist, like a very original theorist of the particular conditions of the third world of South Africa under apartheid, but also just in general, as you're saying, of neocolonialism and, and of the particular problems of the broader third world. Yeah, there's a, um... There's a, a book uh, that I, I just started reading, so I, I haven't finished it yet, but um, it's not really about Steve Biko, but it's kind of like contemporary. Sorry, did you? I, one of my alarms went off, but. No, you're um, all good. So yeah, it, it, it was written by uh, the Namibian, like the leaders of the Namibian um, anti, uh, anti-colonial uh, movement. Um, the Southwest African People's Organization. Um, and they were, you know, it was literally the same struggle, right? Like literally the same um, South Africa, the apartheid South African government was, um, had essentially uh, annexed uh, Namibia after, um, after World War I when it was, um, 
you know that like that's that's some some wild shit that that the British, um, not just the British, but the Europeans used to do was just like parcel out little pieces of Africa and just like you know give them to to different colonizers, um, and you know South Africa uh, was uh, very brutal in their in their hold on um, on Namibia. Um, and one of the the formula, one of the ways that they put it was that um, after uh, between World War One and World War Two, there was a situation where um, the Soviet Union was in a, a communist minority. You know, was was in this uh, was outnumbered in in terms of um, you know just like politically outnumbered um, in terms of like these bodies that you know come together and like talk about like world affairs. You know, like um, the the. The, the League of Nations and then later on the UN. Um, but after World War II with all these um, anti-colonial movements that, that sprung up um, around the world, um, they went from being a, uh, an anti-capitalist minority to being an anti-imperialist majority. Um, and, you know, there are people like Steve Biko didn't have, you know, he wasn't uh, a fan of the Soviet Union, you know, he was he, he was very skeptical of it. Um, but at the same time, he understood that, you know, he understood why there were so many African resistance movements that were aligning with the Soviet Union. Um, because, you know, what what were they, what could they expect from America was just more support of colonialism, because that's what America has been doing, um, you know, forever. So, um, you know, but like at the same time, you know, not giving up, um, you know, I think like recognizing the importance of, of independence, you know, and like meaning independence, um, not just from, uh, you know, not just from uh, colonialism, but, you know, from any kind of outside influence was something that um, a lot of nationalists were uh, stressing at that time and, and still are. Um, but that that anti-imperialist majority uh, is, you know, still a pretty important uh, factor in in the world today, right? Like um, with this, uh, there's this war between uh, Russia and Ukraine, you know, and like, uh, you know, even though um, Russia is not socialist. Um, there's still, you know, the the oppressed nations of the world, you know, have been, there's been all this pressure on them to, you know, join with, with Europe and the US to, um, to put sanctions on Russia and, you know, to isolate Russia. Um, and of course, they're like, well, fuck that, like, I've, I've been sanctioned too, you know, like, uh, all of us have, have felt the negative effects of America's foreign policy. So why would we go along with that? Um, and you know that anti-imperialist majority is more and is becoming more and more powerful as time goes on. Um, and you know whatever whatever contradictions exist among that majority, um, you know like whatever uh, distrust um, people might have of Russia, or you know more analogous to what the Soviet Union was in. Um, in the 70s and 80s is China right now. Um, although I like, of course, they're not exactly the same, but you know, um, 
you know, whatever contradictions exist between those, you know, within that camp are smaller than the contradictions that exist between that camp and uh, the US and Europe. Um, so that's, you know, that's what we're seeing is with all these, all these UN votes and all these, um, you know, more important than the UN votes, the sanctions, you know, when countries refuse to, like, even, even they might say, you know, we condemn, we condemn this, we condemn that, but economically, you know, that's where you really see, like, what's, what's going on. Um, and economically, a lot of these countries are like, well, fuck that, I'm not going along with this, because, you know, if they get all their oil from Russia, like, they're not, they're not going to shoot themselves in the foot because America said so, you know, and at this point, like the economic power that, that the U.S. had in the 70s, you know, is not, um, comparatively, they're not that powerful anymore. You know, it's gotten to the point where, um, you know, countries can say, can say no, you know, countries that are much, much, much smaller than the U.S., um, like Venezuela can say no to America. And also just something that was funny um, was, uh, America begging Venezuela for oil, you know, um, at, like a, about a few weeks ago, uh, after, you know, years and years and years and years of demonizing them and um, uh, these, all these coup attempts and whatnot, um, having to like run back and beg them for, for oil. You know, I think that's just something that shows that, um, you know, it shows what, a, what a, a weak position imperialism is actually in right now. Um, and, you know, after imperialism falls, there's still going to be those contradictions, right? Like there's still going to be um, those contradictions between like the 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 third world and the um, the socialist world. But um, again, like you can't build socialism without first getting rid of imperialism. Yeah, I definitely agree. And I think that is one of the biggest kind of takeaways from from Biko's analysis that still plays a, a massive role in shaping uh, anti-imperialism today and it, and it should. And I guess that, that relates to my last question, which is how Biko, despite not being a Marxist per se, makes very original contributions to, for example, dialectics and has a very consistent kind of contribution in building on dialectics and how you know these aspects can very much be applied not necessarily integrated into Marxism, because I think that's doing a disservice, but can represent kind of a, a new reading or a innovation on even the concept of, of dialectics um, can contribute to a better understanding of contradiction. Um, and yeah, just kind of the innovations that he makes in his theories and I write what I like on dialectics. Yeah, I think, um... You know, not not to take away from from Steve Biko, but like, it what what you're saying makes me think of this uh, Kwame Ture uh, speech where he's talking about, um, you know, how like no no one person, no one country has a monopoly on uh, dialectical thinking. Um, you know, and if you if you lived in uh, if you lived in Libya, you know, and made an analysis of uh, of capitalism, you would you would come to the same kind of the same broad conclusions, um, and I think Steve Biko uh, does that with a lot of um, African uh, a lot of African philosophy. Um, you know, he talks about how uh, you know for thousands of years there were there were 
socialistic societies in Africa, you know, and there were, um, you know, there were, there, there are many traditions uh, that were uh, suppressed by colonialism that are, um, you know, that are socialistic. And I think you can, you can look at any, uh, you know, anywhere around the world and you can find the same thing, things that have been uh, kind of almost stamped out by capitalism. Um, because, you know, these, these are just like the, the, the laws of how hum, of, of how social change happens, right? Like how, how humans uh, interact with each other on like these massive scales um, of like, you know, entire nations. Um, so, you know, someone who was as uh, well-read and, you know, as, um, I, I don't like the word, I don't like the, the concept of genius because it's uh, like, it, it often mystifies things, but like Steve Biko was, um, you know, just incredibly, like an incredible mind. Um, you know, someone like that, you know, analyzing uh, the, the South African situation is gonna come up, if they're being, you know, intellectually honest, is gonna come up with, um, like this dialectical analysis, which he did, you know, this um, dialectic of um, the, you know, of, of the oppressed and the oppressed of the oppressed and the oppressor, um, and within the camp of the oppressed, you know, there's these people who are, um, you know, just happy to to be invited to the to the tea party, you know, by by white people, um, and within the camp of the oppressors, you know, there's the good cop and the bad cop, and there's um, you know, a, a tiny, tiny, uh, there's uh, a small minority that is, you know, uh, that is socialist or, you know, whatever it calls itself that, you know, can be mobilized uh, to fight for black liberation. So Steve Biko saw all of this, you know, like he, he was um, very active in fighting against apartheid. Um, and that's why they eventually, that's why they murdered him, you know, because he, he understood the situation with so much clarity. Um, and, you know, that doesn't necessarily, like you don't necessarily have to be a Marxist, like of course it helps, um, but you don't have to be a Marxist to, uh, to see that, you know, to understand that kind of, um, like if you make an analysis of that situation, um, you're gonna come up with, with, those, um, with, those, with those conclusions. Um, so yeah, that that like uh, that um, theory of like of black consciousness and of self empowerment um, that came out of like a, a very very thorough analysis of the situation that South Africans were in um, and still are in. Um, yeah, so that's 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 my answer to that question. Yeah, thanks so much, and. Um... I guess the last thing I would ask is like any book recommendations or anything someone should read, not just to understand Steve Biko, but just to understand, you know, anything that we've talked about today um, in particular. So yeah, any any book recommendations in general? I, I know, yeah, you showed, I write what I like mm -hmm. earlier. So that's absolutely a plug, it's a must read. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, I write what I like, I'm looking around because I'm like right next to my bookshelf. Um, so there's, 
I could go on for a while with these with these recommendations. I think I just dropped something, but uh, one just because he's a he's a comrade of mine, uh, Frank Chapman. Um, he uh, his book Marxist Leninist Perspectives on Black Liberation and Socialism, uh, where he talks about how because there's there's this kind of idea that uh, that the concept of a black nation in the in the U.S. was imposed on black people by um, by the Soviets. Um, and you know, what Frank shows is that that idea has been there since the 1800s, you know, for as long as, uh, for as long as black people, not, not, we're not even allowed to read, you know, we're not even allowed to read and write. Um, there have been black people who have been expressing these ideas of black, of black nationhood. Um, and another one, is uh, Asada's autobiography. Uh, there's just some amazing, uh, amazing explanations of how propaganda works. Um, you know, just like her her pedagogical uh, style is also just beautiful. You know, like brilliant um, in terms of just getting directly to the point of why things happen. You know, there's a a passage where she talks about. Um, you know, the explanation for World War One that a lot of people here in schools that like, well, just one guy got assassinated and then, you know, there was a war and millions of people died because of this one guy getting assassinated. You know, if you think about that for too long, it doesn't make sense. Um, but, you know, she kind of explains like the dialectical materialist and like historical materialist understanding of how, how things actually happen um, in, you know, a very... Uh, again, like a very straightforward way. Also, Frank is a very straightforward writer. Um, you know, I, like I can't plug his book enough because you know that's a that's someone who's who's taught me a lot. Um, and the last one, uh, this book took me like two years to get through, but it was definitely worth it. Uh, Black Bolshevik by Harry Haywood. Uh, that's it's it's sort of. Uh, semi-autobiographical um, in that he's like telling his life story, but he's also explaining um, the story of the communist movements in the U.S. Um, and up until I think about the 70s and how, um, you know, at the, the height of the, the communist movement came about because of an understanding of the national question um, and because of, you know, this sense of, of the sense of international solidarity. Um, and not just saying, uh, oh, we'll come back for you. You know, once once we get our revolution, we'll come back and you know and, and liberate you. But uh, working, you know, shoulder shoulder to shoulder uh, to um, you know fight for the demands of the Black Liberation Movement while also fighting for um, the demands of the the working uh, the working class more generally. Um, which you know, uh, these are not mutually exclusive groups, of course. Um, but yeah, so those are those are the three books that I would recommend. Awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak about Steve Biko, who really is a, an incredible figure. Um, and yeah, thanks so much. And I'll send you the interview when we publish it. Thank you. Bye.